as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the six Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot And I'm Andy Wilson, also a Big Shiny Robot And we actually have a bunch of movies to talk about this week We had four big releases I'm going to go over all of them And since one of them is actually one of the best Tim Burton movies he's put out since Big Fish, uh, and it is the month of Halloween. We're going to talk about some of his creepiest movies at the end, but the first movie we're going to talk about is Masterminds. Now, Andy, I didn't get to see this movie, and to be completely honest, I was worried about it because it was supposed to have come out over the summer, and then it got delayed and pulled, and there was fighting over it, so I thought this movie was probably never going to see the light of day. Yeah, this is, I think, the reason that this got pulled is you look at the cast, and you had Kristen Wiig, mm-hmm. Kate McKinnon, and you had Le- Leslie Jones. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they weren't worried about crossing the streams. Uh, see what I did there? Uh-huh. With Ghostbusters. Oh, and, and and so it, this is kind of an odd movie, though. This comes from Jared Hess, who gave us Napoleon Dynamite. Ooh. and. <laughs> Really? You hate Napoleon Dynamite? I actually refuse to watch it. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's that's hilarious. Um, we we could talk a lot about that. Um, I, I actually knew a bunch of the people who were involved in making Napoleon Dynamite um, when when I was at BYU, and they'd, they'd made a short film version of it that you can find on the DVD, and I'd seen that. And they're like, oh, we're going to go film a, an actual full-length version of this. Do you want to come up to Burley, Idaho with us for uh, a couple months and, like, hang out? And I'm like, no. <laughs> you guys are crazy. <laughs> uh, one of those people who was involved with that was a guy named Hubble Palmer, who mm-hmm. is the screenwriter of Masterminds. And it is based on uh, the true story of the biggest cash heist in the history of the United States, where uh, a an armored car driver desi- decides to steal a bunch of the cash. Um, that's played by Zach Galifianakis, and he's actually just the patsy. Uh, he is being set up by his coworker, played by Kristen Wiig. Uh, who is playing off the fact that he kind of has a crush on her, even though he is fixing to marry Kate McKinnon, who is just brings the weirdest performance to this movie. Every moment that Kate McKinnon is on screen, you like can't stop looking at her. <laughs> and she is so weird and so funny. It's, it's awesome. I, I wish there was more of of Kate McKinnon in this movie, but she's a really minor side character. Uh, The mastermind behind all of this is Owen Wilson, who sets it all up. And so they they get Zach Galifianakis to rob this armored car. They take all the money. He's supposed to go and hang out and hide out in Mexico while the heat dies down. And then Kristen Wiig is going to go join him and bring him his share of the money. Uh, but of course that doesn't happen. They send a bounty hunter after him, uh, played by Jason Sudeikis, who's supposed to come and, and hunt him down. And so of course, uh, he comes back to the U S to 
uh, bring revenge on these people who, who betrayed him. What this all really amounts to is kind of a Cohen Brothers light. I was it's, it kind of sounds like that. It's like you something you you expect to see them take on a, a film like this. Yeah, exactly. This is this is very Fargo esque, uh, except more broad comedy. In fact, if you took Fargo and you took Napoleon Dynamite or Nacho Libre and put them together, you would have this film, and oh. it's it's very apparent that that's what that's what you got. Uh, the characters are really broad. The one of the great things about the Coens is. While the characters are are different and odd, they're never outlandishly funny. These characters are pretty outlandishly funny, and um, they're supposed to be comedic characters. The problem with that is I feel like the Coens never leave you laughing at their characters. Mm-hmm. You're laughing at how quirky it is and how charming it all is. Here you kind of laugh at how stupid they are in their foibles, and you're kind of looking down on them, which uh, is is kind of sad because um, you you want to be able to root for these people, but ultimately it's like, oh, see, these guys would actually be great criminals if they weren't such terrible white trash people. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a mixed bag. It is funny. Uh, it. And it has that same sort of Jared Hess humor um, that is like edgy PG-13 for a Provo, Utah audience, <laughs> and, which means that it is completely safe everywhere else in the country. Although this movie has one of the grossest poop jokes I have seen in a long, long, long time. And that's, that's lovely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Right. So, um, yeah, it's it's funny. I think if you like this cast, uh, oh, I, I mentioned before Leslie Jones is in it. She's one of the FBI agents who uh, is tasked with tracking this money down. Um, the cast here is really good. They're really trying to make this this fun and watchable. Um, it it's just this. This movie is a Cohen-esque movie, but it mm-hmm. is esque. Um, emphasis on the esque, uh, and and that's a good a good thing and a bad thing. Um, so, I don't know if that sounds appealing to you, then you'll probably like it quite a bit. People were laughing. There's a lot to laugh at, but I'm at like a six and a half out of ten. It's not terrible, hmm. but it's not it's not like oh, it's certainly not Hail Caesar. <laughs> Well, yeah, it, it definitely doesn't sound like the uh, the train wreck I was expecting from, like I said, the, the problems it was having and, and everything else. So, yeah, cool. Um, so on to a little bit more of a, a better movie. Uh, we've got Miss Peregrine's Home for uh, Peculiar Children. This is based on the book by Ransom Riggs, who I think has three or four novels in this series now. Uh, but it stars Aza Butterfield as Jake Portman, and he grew up uh, always hearing wonderful stories. From his grandpa Abraham, who's played by Terrence Stamp, who always told him about this this school. Uh, it was like a boarding school in Wales, England, that he used to visit, and it was run by, like I said, the Miss Miss Peregrine, who's played by Eva Green. And these peculiar children had special powers. Like one girl um, was so full of air, she would float away if she wasn't held down. And uh, there are these twins that were very, very strong for their size, and, and and so on and so forth. Like one of them can summon fire. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, his grandfather is attacked and murdered by some strange creature that eats his, or steals his eyes, 
uh, we later find out, eats his eyes, because that's a lovely thing to think about, uh, which sends uh, Jake into kind of a depression. He goes to the therapist, who recommends that, hey, maybe you should go to Wales and see if you could find this school and see if that'll kind of give you some answers for what's going on. So he goes over there uh, with his father, who's played by Chris O'Dowd, and they learn that the school actually, uh, back in 1943, was bombed by the Nazis, and it's just now a dilapidated, just crumbling old house. Uh, well, let's just say it's not as out it seems. He goes to a cave, meets some of the kids who live there, and ends up in 1943 and finds out that this is a home for peculiar children who are being hunted by these creatures called Whites, the leader of which is Samuel L. Jackson. And they basically live in a time loop. So every single day, right before the bomb hits, Miss Peregrine rewinds time and starts the day over again. And so they, uh, Jake now must meet up with them and band together to make sure the Whites don't find them. Or if they do, kind of gather together an army and fight them off, if you will. So... Like we mentioned at the beginning, this is by Tim Burton, and it's I'd say it's his best film since Big Fish. Uh, but Andy, why don't you tell us what you thought about it? Yeah, I, that's exactly what I said coming out of it. This is definitely his best film since Big Fish. It it feels like a Tim Burton movie, okay. um, but he's also drawing very heavily on this very good source material. That being said, it feels very much like the origin story movie in a series of young adult novels. Which it is. <laughs> yeah, which is exactly what it is. Uh, I, I thought that the first half of the movie was absolutely delightful. Uh, it started ramping up and started getting really good. I think it had some third act problems, and it's like final battle. I'm like, um, Tim Burton needs to like go back and like re-remember how to pace like a climactic fight sequence um yeah because it was it was pretty bad (laughs) that's to be be completely blunt and honest it just it it didn't feel exciting and like you mentioned everything that had been leading up to it was really cool there's an awesome scene uh in a uh i guess you'd call like a uh a carnival type setting and these really weird creatures and that was kind of fun but then it just kind of slumps downhill from there yeah, and, and so it's got its own problems, but at its heart, I think he did a, he did a good job. Uh, I think the protagonist is weak. Um, I don't know if it's Asa Butterfield as an actor um, or if it's just this character, but he's kind of a little bit boring. He's supposed to be that way. I mean, he's supposed to be like our way into the story and... Um, and so he's the least fun of these peculiar children. But, uh, you know, I, I wish that they had found a way to make that more interesting. Um, the children, and especially Eva Green. Oh, yeah. Great. Oh, she is. She is like to the nines here. She's like part Willy Wonka, part Mary Poppins, and part her, uh, her creepy character uh, from Penny Dreadful. And it's this, like, great mixture of mischief and seriousness and magic and foreboding. Um, and, and it's just great. Plus, All wheels smoking a pipe. <laughs> <laughs> and smoking a pipe. And I, I just love Eva Green. I just, I, she's wonderful. Yeah, it, she was fantastic. And, you know, the most, most of the children were kind of interesting. Uh, but, yeah, the... My biggest problem with it is Aza Butterfield, and he actually is a really good actor. If you saw him in Hugo, 
Uh, he's fantastic. That was actually one of my favorite movies a couple years ago. Uh, I, my only pro- my main problem with him in this is I can't tell if it's just because you know now he's an adult, he's kind of figuring out his new way of acting, um, or if it was just Tim Burton didn't know how to direct him because uh, he was expressive and emotive, but his voice was just so like almost deadpan the entire time. It almost felt like it was very monotone and wasn't showing the kinds of emotions that he was obviously feeling at the time. So yeah. that was that was one problem I had. And and maybe it's just that Tim Burton has never had to like be an actor's director because he's been working with really high caliber actors like like your Johnny Depp uh, or your Martin Landau or um, uh, your Paul Rubens, and so they kind of bring it. They they already know their character and can inhabit it. And if you have someone who has this kind of milk toast part and he's just like, well, you know, that's that's just how it is. He's he's certainly not Ewan McGregor from Big Fish. Yeah, no, Aza Butterfield can definitely act. I mean he was he was perfectly fine in Ender's game. Uh, I think Hugo and I'm uh, in the striped pajamas was also yeah. a fantastic role for him. But I just don't think Tim Burton knew what to do with him. Because yeah. like you mentioned, he is more of a milk toast character. He's the "Quote unquote normal kid with all these peculiars around, but you can still be an interesting person. And, and towards the end, like when you know, I want to spoil what happens at the end, but the last kind of like literally thirty seconds of the movie, when it kind of catches up to what's been going on, it kind of seemed that way for a bit, and but then it was too little, too late. Yeah, yeah. So, but that being said, it it sets itself up for a sequel. I wouldn't mind revisiting this movie, and I wouldn't, or I wouldn't mind revisiting this world." And I wouldn't mind seeing what they have next in store because this movie was perfect in its world building. And it's one of those things that Tim Burton is very good at is building that world. Oh, yeah, definitely. Real and and uh, and lived in and and both magical and realistic at the same time. Uh, And so now that he's done that and he's established it, let's do something else cool with it and and I I I have high hopes for uh, what they will do next in it. Yeah, and like you said, it's it very much feels like the first movie in a series, like and that's what it's kind of meant to be because uh, you do have to create this world, you do have to set up the rules, you have to explain how everything came to be. Uh, that said though, it, it was a little bit too long. Uh, if maybe 15 20 minutes had been cut out, it probably would have been a much leaner and more, uh, not coherent movie, but I caught myself looking at my watch towards the end because it was really, I was kind of getting tired of being there, but I did enjoy overall. I want to see what happens next. Uh, I'm at a seven out of 10, so it's not a wonderful movie, but it's definitely better than a lot of stuff out there right now. Yeah, exactly. I'm at a seven and a half out of 10. Again, if you, if you think this, this looks good, if you've got kids who are, um, adolescent, preteen, tween, uh, who are into kind of creepy stuff, this is a good movie for them. And I I just, uh, besides some pacing issues and uh, some of the script issues, I, I don't really have that much of a problem with it. And like I said, it's, it's definitely the best thing he's done since Big Fish, and he's had a lot of uh, misses in, in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. So overall, a good one. It's it's a little bit intense for young kids. I probably wouldn't take anyone younger than ten or so. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Uh, know your kid, but yeah. There's. I mean, 
like the, their home gets bombed out by Nazis. Come on. Like, and they're they're getting their eyes plucked out, so that was and kind of and yeah, eyes plucked out by giant scary monsters. So yeah, yeah. but overall, it's kind of fun. So uh, a movie that wasn't really fun so much as it was horrifying uh, was Deepwater Horizon, uh, which is based on the uh, well the the big uh, tragedy that occurred back in two thousand and ten. Uh, so I didn't know this. Cause I remember when this happened. But, you know, was we were paying attention, and so it was the, pretty much led to the biggest oil spill. On the history of the U.S., but I didn't realize they were drilling down to thirty-five thousand feet uh, to get this oil. I was like, "That's that's higher than you fly in a plane sometimes." Yep. So it was, you know, it's to be completely honest, it's man kind of pushing the limits to see what technology can do, and uh, in this case, it bit them in the ass. But this is the t- uh, story of what actually took place over that fateful day and night. Uh, this isn't about their stopping the oil flow or the oil spill at the end. Uh, the 89 days it took to do that. Uh, and it stars Mark Wahlberg as Mike Williams. Uh, he's just uh, one of the employees on there. Uh, I didn't really specifically say what he does, but he's kind of a supervisor, uh, inspector, kind of checking things out. Uh, Kurt Russell is wonderful as Mr. Jimmy Harrell. He's kind of the manager or the guy in charge of the whole thing. And then you've got John Malkovich, who is absolutely wonder as this con- – like he's the bad guy. He's like this evil – BP representative who essentially causes everything to happen because what the Deepwater Horizon is doing is all it's doing is going down, it's drilling into these oil fields, capping off the the pipe, and then going to the next one. And then another rig comes over, collects all the oil, and goes from there. Well, BP was, uh, I think it was 30 or 43 days uh, overdue and millions of dollars over budget. And so John Malkovich's character is like, you know, hey, we know we should go in this capis and move on. And the engineer's like, no, we got too much pressure. So he's like, we'll try this test, do this. Uh, and it looks like it's good at first, but there's actually something blocking it. Uh, so it's not giving the right reading. So they go to cap it off and leave, and everything goes to hell. I mean, the oil comes up, explodes out, uh, causes a big fire. The whole thing bursts into flames, and then everyone's str- scrambling and struggling to you know, get off and survive. Uh, and most everyone did. Uh, Eleven people were were killed in this disaster, um, and at the very end of the movie, during the credits, um, they put the, the names on the top and show pictures of them, like the families, and just kind of a reminder of what happened. Um, it takes a bit to get going. I say the first eh, half hour or so, uh, it just kind of set up what's going on, introducing the characters. It takes a little bit too long introducing Mark Wahlberg's character. I mean, yes, we want to feel for him, but uh, there's a implied sex scene at the beginning with his wife, which really wasn't necessary. You don't see anything, but. It's just, come on, let's get to the story, let's get to what's going on. Uh, but the moment everything goes to hell and takes off, uh, it is one of the most intense movies I've ever seen. Uh, it's definitely has the edge of the sea, even though we already know how it all turns out. Uh, it's engaging, it's very, very interesting, and uh, I just like the fact that it wasn't like, oh, hey, we're going to make this character a hero. It's like, no, they were trying to help each other out and help each other survive, but it's not like someone ran into a burning building to save a, do- a kitten or something like that. It, just, it was... A very real life telling of what actually took place on this uh, uh, drill. Yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, this was a very complicated thing. Uh, I certainly am not a fan of the oil industry, and I am one of those people who is opposed to all sorts of offshore drilling for this very reason that yeah. we're we're doing we're pushing the limits on this so much to try and get this resource that. Um, we're doing it in ways that are unsafe and you have, 
you have companies who are motivated by their profit and they're not listening to their their engineers and their safety people and they're like nope we got to we got to do it we don't care that we're uh that we're pushing the limits on this um i'm i'm interested in seeing this um uh, i there have been several movies about the deepwater horizon incident and the bp oil spill mm-hmm. um none of them very good so far uh there was a really boring documentary at south by southwest a couple years ago called the great invisible that you should not see because it's <laughs> <laughs> um, but but it did have a lot of footage of oil executives hanging out on a rooftop bar in Houston uh, talking about how rich this was all going to make them. And, you know, uh, it's so it's a uh, it's it's a strange basket. Now, this is this is Peter Berg, right? The director. Right. So he can he's good with an action scene. He's not exactly known for making the best of movies. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Battleship. <laughs> Yep. Um, but he's no Michael Bay, and he, uh, it's really interesting because Mark Wahlberg can be a fantastic actor, or he can be, hey, tell you, say hi to your mother for me kind of actor. Yep. And it really depends on the director. And uh, this, I wouldn't say this is his best performance. It's a good performance. Uh, his best, I'd still say, would probably go to The Departed because that man made swearing into an art form. Uh, <laughs> but no, Peter Berg did a great job getting a good performance out of him. Um, again, Kurt Russell, he's fantastic, but really, John Malkovich as the BP exec, he's just so slimy, and you, you just every time he's on screen, you just want to punch him. Like, and he just does a tremendous, fantastic job being that evil character that you know that everything can kind of get blamed on. Uh, but in the long run, the you know what happened was it was you know people caving under pressure. There was a uh, you know a few bad decisions were made, so it doesn't. If there is a villain in the movie, it would be BP, of course, because they're the ones who kind of push this to happen. Um, but it just kind of shows when a series of mis- misfortune events can all kind of come together in a perfect storm that can utterly destroy this, you know, one of the most technologically advanced things we have on Earth. So, yeah. uh, But no, I, I liked it a lot. It's uh, 8.5 out of 10. Really, really good. Kind of came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting this. Uh, but it's one I'm looking forward to seeing again because it was very well done. That's great. Uh, another movie that is very unassuming and has kind of come out of nowhere and really hit me very hard is Disney's new inspirational sports movie, Queen of Katwe, uh, which is about everyone's favorite sport, chess. <laughs> hey, I happen to love chess, thank you very much. Yeah, oh, I uh, I am not very good at it, but like <laughs> most sports. Um but this is the story of little Fiona, who uh, lives in, in Katwe, which is a, a very literal slum in the capital of Uganda. Like, and I'm talking dirt floors, no roof, like barely living in quote-unquote shelter in most of these places. Mm-hmm. And she and her brother go out all day and sell fruit on the market or go from car to car and uh, try and sell them to make just a meager existence. And their mom, Lupita Nyong'o, is uh, trying to, you know, keep keep them fed and keep them alive. Uh, one day, uh, her brother finds this ministry where uh, an out-of-work uh, 
civil engineer uh, played by David Oyelowo is uh, teaching teaching the kids how to play soccer. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of the kids, they're like, oh, our moms won't let us play football. Can we play another game? And he said, yeah, you know what? When I went to college, uh, I played this game called chess. And I would beat the city boys at it, and they would give me their money because uh, they thought that that I couldn't beat them coming from the streets. So uh, let's let's teach you this. And they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go up against the city boys." And so Fiona shows up, and first of all, they're like, "Oh, we can't let a girl play this game." And um, you know, this is this is our game, and uh, the the first match that she wins, the boy she beats like cries and cries because a girl beat her at beat him at chess. <laughs> um, Poor baby. But it turns out she's really, really good, and they go to a, a local tournament uh, hosted at their local college uh, for children ac- across Uganda, and she wins. Um, she continues with her training. Uh, they go to a multinational tournament uh, in uh, elsewhere in Africa, and um, eventually they end up at the uh, International Chess Olympiad in Moscow. Um, this is a true story, and uh, this this little girl and uh, this man are still like learning chess in the uh, in the slums of um, in the slums of Uganda. Well, they. They've moved out by the end because, mm-hmm. you know, there's been some, you know, when when Disney makes a movie about you and buys your life rights, then you're probably doing a little you're bit better. Care of, yeah. you're, you get taken care of a little bit. But um, uh, it's it's just a really inspirational, heartfelt story. And David Oyelowo, who uh, you might remember as, well, if you're watching Rebels... You you know him, uh, but if uh, uh, if not, he he played Martin Luther King in Selma, and uh, and he was in MI Five and Red Tails and a bunch of other stuff. He's he's a great actor, but man, Lupita Nyong'o here is the best. Um, you know, she doesn't want Fiona to go to the school because she's like, oh, you know. These city folk are going to come and steal my child. I need her to go and sell fruit. And because that's how we get money, that's how we survive. Mm-hmm. And um, she does more with like a sideways glance at someone uh, than most actors do in like an entire script's worth of acting. She is so good and so expressive. And um, I, I got to say, like, I'm so impressed with this. If she does not get nominated for an Oscar, um, I might I might be complaining about Oscar <laughs> White again. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I, I, I can vote in the Razzies, but not the Oscars. So, yeah, I can't help yeah. with this one. Uh, she's really amazing in this. I mean, we'll see. It's very possible there will be uh, six other, um, you know, supporting female roles uh, throughout the end of this year that it's like, okay, well, I understand why those six got it. But she is really amazing here. David Oyelowo is amazing. But at the heart, this movie is all about these kids. Mm -hmm. And 
This is a cast of completely unknown African kids. Um, there's not a non-African speaking role in this entire movie, as far as I know. Like, mm-hmm. no white people. <laughs> oh, wow. There's like, there's, like, some white people when they go to Moscow. But, like... Uh, not a lot of white people in this, so it's like the opposite of every other Hollywood movie, right? Um, and and so that's very interesting and very different. And I'm glad that they're doing this. Uh, it, the movie isn't perfect. It starts really slow. Um, mm-hmm. Give it 15 minutes, and it picks up. Once once they actually like it, they've got to set up the chessboard <laughs> before they actually like start. Right, exactly. Movie. Uh, uh, but, um, you know, the reason why the kids love playing chess is they like the idea that the pawn can get to the back square and become a queen. And that's why this is that inspirational sports story, Mm -hmm. um, because it's about a girl who was uneducated and living in complete poverty and, you know, rockets to the top of international chess superstardom if there is such a thing um and uh and and still working on it uh just amazing and and beautiful and uh bring some kleenex cool well that I, there was one you know until you mentioned you saw it and you said how good it was i've never even heard of this one there's been like no yeah. marketing whatsoever so i'm not really sure what their their goal is with this movie <laughs> Because no one I know even knows what it's about, or even if I say the name, they're like, "What is that?" And uh, I don't know. That's, that's kind of disappointing because it sounds like something that you know a lot of people would probably enjoy. And you know, just from a, a pure filmmaking aspect of just seeing a great performance, um, let alone everything else. But yeah, they're not. There's nothing about this movie anywhere. I think there is something to be said about like uh, you know the the critique is oh well Hollywood is racist uh, because they don't give enough leading roles to black actors. Uh, it's it's not always that. It's that it is hard to market black or films with primarily black or African actors to white audiences in America. Um, and because I mean, think about your average Trump voter; <laughs> those people buy movie tickets too, and uh, that's a big chunk of the audience. And I, I think that they haven't figured out a way to market this to anyone except for like ultra liberal people laden with white guilt like me <laughs> we're like <laughs> we will go see the movie about the african chess player it is my duty as a liberal white person <laughs> <laughs> so cool well that's definitely one to to keep an eye out and um to check out if it's in, i don't know it's it's playing in a decent number of theaters i think it's pretty much yeah it's it's it should be overall nationwide it's not just doing art house it's uh in about 1200 screens so yeah, or, it, uh, get twelve hundred screens. Yeah, it's not as wide as Miss Peregrine. It's not as wide as your normal Disney movie. But it, this is the same basic release strategy that they've had with a lot of these other sports movies, like they had with Glory Road or uh, McFarland USA. Um, you know, Disney makes these inspirational sports stories, and they come out in 
a thousand, fifteen hundred theaters. They're out for a few weeks, and it's like they they get made, they make their money back. That that works. That, but that's basically it. Cool. So if it's not near you, or if you miss it, um, I'm sure it'll pop up on DVD and video on demand in not too long. <laughs> yep. So I. Uh, just before we go and wrap up, quickly talking about uh, so Tim Burton because he did Miss Peregrine's uh, School for Peculiar Children, and it is you know the month of October, so we are looking kind of some spooky movies, and we were thinking about all the stuff he's done, uh, good and bad, and the one I actually like a lot. It's it's not the greatest movie, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's definitely more of a Halloween type movie. Um, is Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, which uh, stars Johnny Depp as the titular. Uh, Barber, who uh, basically has his well, family taken away from him, uh, his wife he presumes is dead, and he comes back after being sent away uh, in prison to get revenge on Judge Turpin, the guy who uh, lusted after his wife and caused everything to happen. And he does this by uh, slitting their throats and then dumping them down a chute to be turned ground up into meat and sold into meat pies in Mrs. Lovett's meat shop. <laughs> uh, it's Again, it's not his best movie, but it's very, very uh, well sung, well acted. Uh, it's bloody as hell. I mean, this is definitely R for a reason. There's, uh, I think the first time you see someone get their throat cut, it was very, very cringeworthy. And, I mean, now you see it on yeah. FX. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it used to be on R-rated movies now on FX at 9 o'clock p.m., but... Yep. Well, if you're a fan of the musical, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's nothing too deep. It's just a revenge story. And, of course, because it's... Uh, it is a revenge story. Everyone has to uh, suffer in the end. So, and and don't forget Sasha Baron Cohen's huge cod piece. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he is <clears throat> who uh, <clears throat> shaved the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> that, so that movie is that movie is a lot of fun. I I like that. Yeah, it's not my favorite Tim Burton movie. I think this is so weird, but. I think my favorite Tim Burton movie is Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It's it a good his, one. It's his first movie. I've loved that movie since I was a kid. And I maintain that it has some of the scariest stuff that Tim Burton has ever done in his entire career. How large Marge sent you. Exactly. That scene right there freaked the hell out of me as a kid the like uh the the claymation with like her face look just oh. like this blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you're just like ah. <laughs> and it's so funny to look at now because it's so ridiculous but it's scary oh yeah and, um the uh the the other the other part of it that is just great is uh there is a dream sequence where um Pee-wee has his his bike stolen and uh mm-hmm. Francis is the devil in hell and is like lording over it and the the bike is going to get like dropped into molten lava and there's like a a giant dinosaur that that's going to get him it's really really scary and it's got that great Danny Elfman soundtrack when mm-hmm. it was still Danny Elfman writing like he was writing for Oingo Boingo instead of Danny Elfman. I'm writing for, uh, you know, a movie score. Um, 
so it's it's very very different and uh you certainly don't hear music like that anywhere and i just i i think it was a, a young filmmaker who was very hungry who found like the right project that inspired him in all the right ways and he just put this crazy touch on it and and a lot of those early burton movies like really really felt that way and um i i think that movie's worth revisiting and what's really fun is uh so remember the scene where they're in the dinosaur yeah of course so uh my great aunt uncle used to live in blythe california and we would go when we go to visit them we always meet halfway between our house and theirs and that was in cabazon where these dinosaurs are so I used to see these. I used to go visit them and go up. You couldn't go in the T Rex, but the uh, the Brontosaurus was uh, kind of like a gift shop slash museum, and so we would always go in there like kind of two three times a year. So it was really funny because a kid when this movie finally came out and seeing that, cause I was like, oh, I used to go in there all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they're 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 still there. You still go hang out and see them. Um, again, you can't go in the T Rex, but the other one you can go take a look at and get pictures with, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, of course I remember that because. Um, because Miss Simone's uh, big burly boyfriend who wants to kill Pee Wee, his name is Andy. Andy. <laughs> <laughs> he tries to hit Pee Wee over the head with the giant ceramic bone. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and he, and he, as a kid, especially if there was ever a character named Andy and something, I'm like, oh hey, that's like me. Yay. <laughs> Yay. That character's nothing like me. <laughs> That's no, all. Not at all. So, <laughs> all right. Well, that'll take us to the end of this week. Uh, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, next week, we've got Birth of a Nation, which uh, premiered at Sundance and won the grand prize uh, jury, jury award. And then uh, Girl on a Train with Emily Blunt, which looks to be kind of like a thriller, exciting type movie. So we'll come back with that next week and let you know what we think. But until then, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. Punk ass tripping, but it's all right. Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly, punk ass